Welcome everyone to the Disco Posse Podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. All right. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, for those that are coming back, uh, it's good to hear you again. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it. My name is Eric Wright. I'm the host here at the uh, at the podcast. Super excited because we've got uh, we're we're approaching we're approaching our triple digit numbers very soon. We've been doing this for a while. I've had a ton of great folks that have joined us, and this is going to be uh, another super adventurous one today. I've been digging in a lot more lately in talking about uh, looking at the startup scene and and the more and more I've I've been talking to folks, it's really neat to see this continuous evolution in the way the market's approaching things. Uh, and everybody that tells you that the world is is too populated or it's too busy with any particular startup or or thing. Uh, I'll tell you, look at the Zoom IPO, and anyone would say that the the, the crowded market of, of web conferencing was was not to be taken on, uh, but that was proven wrong. And that uh, when I talk about startups, and it's really more a people story and people understanding the problems that need to be solved. And with that, I am super excited. I'd like to welcome Iran Kurtzner, who's going to join me today from Lightbit, uh, Lightbit's Labs. And Iran, let's. Let's talk about you. Introduce yourself. Tell us where we can find you online. And uh, let's talk about Lightbits and the story behind it and, and kind of what you're trying to solve. Sure, Eric. And uh, thank you for having me in the, this podcast. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I can take about, talk about uh, how Lightbit uh, started and a uh, little bit talk about myself. So uh, the company Lightbit was started uh, basically in 2016. Uh, right after uh, Annapurna was uh, acquired by AWS, uh, Victor Willens uh, uh, approached me. Victor Willens uh, was the founder of uh, Galileo that acquired by Marvel and uh, uh, was one of the founders of Annapurna and uh, was one of the first investors in one of the startups that I was part of the founding team, uh, Wintegra, that was acquired by uh, PMC Sierra. So basically we have a long uh, history of uh, working in the semiconductor, uh, communication, processor architecture, and, and storage for the last uh, 20 years. So when we, we start Lightbit, basically we thought, okay, what will be the, the main problem of hyperscaler or webscaler building their uh, infrastructure? So Lightbit was not kind of a, another startup of two kids coming from Berkeley and say, hey, I have a great idea and let's open something together. <laughs> it was right. more like, uh, okay, uh, Industry is changing. There's so much kind of uh, uh, pieces moving together, uh, and that's you know kind of almost from from many because of many reasons. Some people may say it's a perfect storm that's really happening in the industry now. Uh, there is a place for uh, you know I don't like to use the term, but uh, I will use it. Uh, disruptive technology. There is a place for another disruptive technology, and that that's all about Lightbits. So basically. If you look at that, uh, you know, flash prices went down, you know, and keep going down every quarter, 10%, 20%. That's something we identified. Network bandwidth, and I think you know it also from where you are working, is, is going up and it's give you much more flexibility how to deploy your stuff, how to run a, a serverless environment and how to, to run, you know, different containers-based environment and so on. Uh, and application becoming more and more cloud native and stateless and more demanding from the type of thing they are trying to do. And, and you know what, there is also a standard benchmarking out there. People know how much it costs. You know, you can go to Amazon website, Google website, and you can book your compute storage networking and know exactly what should be the cost. So there is a standard benchmarking for, uh, for the industry. And based on that, we say, okay, we need to, to help those customers solving their private cloud environment. And, and that's what we did. We actually, we starting uh, the journey of going one by one of these hyperscaler and webscaler and, and trying to find their pain point. 
uh, and this is how basically we started Lightbit. And it, it's one thing I want to I want to pull on because I know a lot of folks that listen they've they've probably been around the industry for a little bit and they've heard these terms like hyperscale and web scale, and I I love that we finally figured out that we don't have to be like Google scale to be web scale. And the idea, like you said, of like cloud native in private cloud, cloud native is a practice. It's a methodology. It's a way in which we architect and build applications. It doesn't have to mean you're doing it on Docker uh, or on Kubernetes or it, it means that your approach is different and achieving. Uh, and I, I like you know, my, my team at work, we talk about cloud economics on premises. And like you said, it's the idea that you can go to Amazon, you know exactly what you're going to need, what you're going to spend. Can I take that practice and, and bring it back on-prem and using other traditional architectures we may already have in-house or, or recent architectures. So it's, it's cool and I love that it, if we look at it 10 years ago, if we said web scale or hyperscale, people automatically assume like, well, it's not, not valid for me because I'm, you know, X size, I'm, I'm a medium, you know, moderate size business. I've got 25 hosts in my environment. You're like, no, 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 this is a practice. It's not a, a, a size measurement. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you absolutely hit it. So, so when we are talking with customer, we're telling them basically, uh, and, and I would go back to the pain point, but, but uh, just continue with your thoughts. So when, when we talk with the customer, we're telling them, look, you need to follow those giant like let's let's think you are buying a, a some you know a, a component for for a mobile phone okay totally different industry if you go and follow the components that samsung consume and apple consume you're probably in the right track and if you uh, you know uh, try to continue and now replicate nokia from uh, 10 or 20 years ago you're, you're building their own the mobile phone right <laughs> yeah that's right so, so, so same thing happened if you're building your data center. If you're building your data center, actually you want to build it the way, and it, as exactly as you mentioned, doesn't matter if you're 50 system, 100 system, 1,000 uh, 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 server. If you build it close enough to what Amazon do or what Google will do or Facebook, you're probably on the right track. So how you choose your component, what type of software you're going to use, what you're going to automate, what you're going to build your own, and how you kind of be everything API driven and you know, less and less kind of human interaction, all of that, that's the way we need to go, okay? So, so yeah, <laughs> we agree on that. Yeah, and it's, and it's good and it's funny that we talked about it and, and I definitely, I wanna dig in hard on, on the specific challenge because I know I'm excited in, in following what your company's been, been doing. I know some folks that were over there. So I'd, I'd had my eyes when you were still in stealth. I'm like, all right, I'm waiting for this one to, to open up. And for folks that are listening as well, you know, in the startup world and we will look for these new startups, by the time you see something arrive in the big splash, there's been two, you know, we talk about like you started in 16. So mm -hmm. there, while people look and they say, oh, you're, you're trying to solve a problem that you saw yesterday. Like, no, 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 we've seen, we've had this problem for quite some time and you've been attacking the problem directly for three years, uh, almost four at this point. So let's, let's talk about the, the challenge that you're, you're looking to, uh, to sort out. Right. So, so just to add to your point, so yeah, you're, 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 you're coming with a vision, you come with the idea maybe three or four years ago. And to, to, to be honest, you know, the, the, the way you solve it is evolving as you move forward, right? So not necessarily you stick with the first thing you, you came up four years ago and you just bumped your head in the wall. You're, you're involving the way you solve it and adjust it to your customer. So it's in the same spirit, it's in the same context but uh, you know solution become better and better and that that's the beauty of being startup you can you know move navigate and and adjust your solution now now the the people at lightbit we we have more than 10 years of experience in what so-called nvme non-volatile memory okay uh, and non-volatile uh, uh, so we people in this uh, company actually were the the first ones that uh, developed the first nvme controller it was used by most of the uh, enterprise-based uh, SSD back then and by uh, uh, many of the hyperscaler. Basically, we helped them to build a custom solution. 
Um, and then uh, in 2014, 16, uh, people at, uh, at this company at Lightbit took part of uh, uh, defining the NVMe of a fabric uh, standard. And when we started Lightbit, uh, basically we, we went to, as I mentioned, to those uh, web scaler and hyperscaler and asked them, okay, what problem we are trying to solve now? What is, what limit your, your scale, right? You're trying to scale, you're trying to grow, you're trying to reduce the cost and get better performance, better latency. Um, I don't know if all the uh, people in this podcast really understand what is latency and what is performance. So maybe we can touch on this. Uh, uh, latency is the time that take you to retrieve something. So if we're talking in the context of, of storage, that means that uh, you're trying to fetch some information. It can be a file, it can be an object, it can be just a block. And, and the time it will take you to retrieve this information from the media is basically the, the latency. Now, latency basically is the physics, it's the speed of light, it's the, the flash, the, the memory, um, and, and that can be calculated. When you're talking on scale, thousands of things that are happening simultaneously, then latency have some deviation. So the, the, there's things called tail latency, those spike, those four, nine, five, nine, that basically, getting the information with some deviation from the average uh, latency. Uh, and that's their biggest challenge. So maybe I will stop here, Eric, and let you ask some question. Before yeah, I... well, that's, and, and yeah. you bring up a beautiful point that people really get stuck on sometimes, especially, I'll say that like storage in particular and network are, are interesting areas of, in the, in the IT world for folks that are practitioners. And, and, and we really have, we, we always have this idea that as we talk about the business value of something and what we're trying to achieve, and then you say, like, don't get caught on the speeds and feeds. And then the folks that are using this stuff every day are like, no, 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 the, the speeds and feeds actually really do matter in a sense of it's not the only thing that matters. It's the way in which you tell the problem. Like you said, you're, you're literally facing physics. This is not, these are not surpassable things. So what we have to do is work within the confines and constraints of physics and then take this and look at, you know, how to actually build a solution that attacks the business challenge around it. And one of the things that I, I also get people caught up in, they, they do get lost on latency versus bandwidth versus uh, wait periods. And, and like, so latency is, you know, yeah, waiting for the activity for, for retrieval. But then when you look at queuing and distributed systems, it's not just latency, storage latency, it's now, CPU and, and compute latency that you're attaching to that. And Correct. then to top this off, we look at the, the uh, I'll say at this point, we can call the traditional hyperscalers, the traditional like enterprise web scale tech. Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of folks that are attacking this you know, hyper-converged and converged market. And they all began with, I'm going to come to market with one, one box and it will be, you know, stackable and scalable. And it seemed like, at that time, people said, this is great. I love the idea. I love the ease of administration. But uh, I ran you know, a, a large data center for a financial services company. And everybody that came to me with these beautiful, you know, one node fits all sort of solutions, I said, it's, it's not going to work for me because what I have is I've got vast amounts of storage that are attached to environments that may or may not use it. They're shared hypervisor environments and their, their other shared single server environments. And so that was, I actually do want to jump right into on tech on, on one of the things that you're, you're very good at solving is even in environments where there's existing hyperscalers and web scale tech mm -hmm. and hyperconverged, it's not one size fits all. And so for enterprises that have workloads that don't necessarily match that profile, or they've got you know, big amounts of data that are sitting there, but, have to be attached to these, you know, web scale environments. If you don't mind, uh, Iran, let's talk a bit about like the, the very specific thing that you do around that NVMe and, and that shared storage presentation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so basically, um, you know, in the past, you know, the ways that the uh, web scaler build their uh, infrastructure, they just took, they have a, a specific SKU, a server with uh, X amount of compute, X amount of Y amount of, of storage, and then stack them, right? That, that's the way they scale out. And if they want to build their 
cluster of some analytic or some database, they simply add more and more a, a server like that. And when you add more and more server like that, yeah, it was very simple in the beginning, but after a few months, after a year, uh, they suddenly realized that uh, they have stranded capacity, stranded the uh, uh, compute, and there is imbalance between the compute and the storage. So in order to solve the problem, they just throw more hardware on the, uh, on the, on the problem. And, and that's the way they solve it, uh, which was maybe good enough just to solve this specific problem, but actually you cannot really scale with it. Um, and the problem is not just the, the, the cost of the equipment. You had more equipment, uh, you need more space, there is more power consumption, you need more technician that actually will maintain all of that, you need more IT, more DevOps for that. So it, it's becoming a mess, basically. And what we, we are telling them basically is, hey, uh, let, let's separate them. Let's separate the, the, their, the need for compute from the need from, for storage, because every application have different requirements. So the fact that you solve the problem for one application by throwing away, throwing 10 server uh, from that specific type on the, on the problem, not necessarily that what need for different application. And you know what? In the environment of a, a serverless and, and, and container-based environment, also the, the, the application move from one location to the other, right? So the, the specific hardware you put in a specific location are not using the way it was used in the past anymore. And it can be changed even during 24 hours or during a week or something like that. So basically the idea was because the network actually went up and because the, the compute, the, you know, there is huge amount of data and also, by the way, is that this can also change in the lifetime of the organization. Organizations start with a, a one with a certain need, and then when it grows, those SaaS provider basically accumulate more and more information and do more and more analytic. So the balance change all the time. So the idea was, and that exactly the standard we, we invent, we develop, was a, a standard that allow you to separate compute and storage and have each one of them located anywhere in the data center. So basically it's, it's super optimized for the application. Whenever application comes, it's simply coming to the uh, environment, let's say the Kubernetes and required some persistent storage, some compute, and then basically allocated for the time the application is running and then can disappear. It makes sense? Absolutely. And, and this is, uh, I, I've got to admit, at one point, I think it was a, f a couple of years ago, and it was actually, it would be it, it maybe even a little longer. I remembered saying this idea that everybody's like, everybody's going hyper-converged. And I said, but you know, there will be a day where we come up and we'll have uh, the new standard, which will be disaggregated hyper-converged. I said, because the, just like we have private cloud and everybody sort of pushed back. And at the time, I'll say like eight years ago, you know, I was super active in, in the OpenStack community and doing a ton of stuff and, and seeing successes that people were getting. But at that time, there was a real sort of war of like, well, there's no way that you can achieve that kind of, that, those type of economics on premises because the products weren't mature enough and the, the organizations weren't ready to consume infrastructure that way. Mm -hmm. or operate it and it's they were ready to consume but they didn't want to consume it and pay by the hour and so they wanted they'd had to find this mix of can i develop these practices and then the technology that's maybe not quite ready will come along with us and so we had this beautiful perfect storm that's happened over the past few years where they caught up where the, the private cloud capabilities have actually started to match the public cloud offerings. Mm -hmm. And the practices of the people have now adjusted where we as practitioners and architects and, and, and developers have started to merge together and say like, ah, the way that Amazon does things is, is if it's working for them at scale, then let's bring it in in house. And so the same thing now with the hyper scalers and the hyper converged market was seemingly out of reach for some folks because they weren't ready and now because of what your team has done and and what we're trying to do is take that methodology and bring it in and like you said 
because containers have come along and the way that we do, you know, we bring serverless in the environment. We want to run this stuff in shared infrastructure. And mm -hmm. that's in the, if you take any single solution, it's a, probably a terrible idea on a single hardware solution and no fault against that particular hardware solution, but it can't possibly do everything. And so again, like this is, and, and actually it was funny that I went through, went through your, your, uh, your, your products recently. And, and I looked at the, at some of the, the messaging that's coming up and I, all of a sudden I see this disaggregated uh, environment. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> we finally arrived at, yeah. you know, a, a size fits all is what I call it. Not one size fits all, but a size. And so what do we do to make sure that we can address that problem? So that's, uh, I love, sorry, it's a long story to really just remind people that the standards that were written years ago don't get realized in an actual marketable solution for quite some time. And that's really what I'm saying is that your team is doing this thing that the world has been waiting for and and anybody that doesn't believe it's a challenge, maybe in their own environment is one thing, but like walk around the world and, and go into different environments. And I'm lucky, I see a lot of different customer environments and, and this is legitimately a challenge that, that a lot of folks are, are facing. Now, this is a neat thing too. So if you don't mind, I, I wanna talk about getting started. So when I first discovered your team, you were in stealth, mm -hmm. uh, what was that? What was that process like as you kind of looked to develop the first marketable solution and, and look for that product market fit type of idea? What, what is that process like for you? Right. So, so as, as I mentioned, you know, we, we come from the background of uh, building, you know, uh, the first NVMe SSD out there in the market. Okay. Build the controller for that. So we have a kind of intimate and deep understanding of, of those first NVMe SSD. Um, now we 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 went as a team and said, okay, what is the next you know big things that we we need to solve? How to scale storage because you cannot just uh, have storage captive within one server, right? So what we did is is basically we we talk with different web scaler, hyperscaler, and then we realized that you know there is a standard out there that we also being part of this standard, which was NVMe over Fabric, which was based on RDMA. Uh, and we realized that this standard is, there, there's two main uh, problems with that. One, nobody's going to change the network or going to replace all the clients that they have uh, because they, they, they may have 10,000 of clients or 100,000 of clients already there that's running the, the application. So you need some mechanism or some protocol that allow you to basically use your internal or already exist infrastructure and and to allow you to, to scale your storage, right? And what Livebit was, was doing is basically is develop a, a software-defined storage with a, a front-end, with a network interface, which is NVMe over TCP. So we took the very good old TCPs that everybody knows and everybody's running in the data center, and we actually tailor it together to the NVMe over Fabric standard. And some people told us, you know, hey, this will not work, and TCP is so slow, and TCP was uh, designed for something else. But actually, we show so many people that uh, it, it works. And in fact, it gives you very similar result to what you can get with the fiber channel or with R RDMA, with Rocky V2, and, and other kind of more optimized uh, protocol or more optimized hardware. So the, basically, the thought process was to have a solution that you can come with a solution to any data center and simply plug and play and, 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 and let it work. You know, we didn't want to be in a position that say, people come to us and say, hey, that's a great idea, but let's talk with the CTO because this is very innovative product and very innovative solution. And that's uh, five years from now. No, we want actually to, to solve the problems that people have now, today, okay? So, that's the reason we, we, we basically come with something that you can really deploy in any, any network, any infrastructure. And to that, we had all the expertise we had from the developing a, a very optimized flash layer, what we call the global FTL, global flash translation layer, which is a layer that super optimized the way you utilize the, the SSD. And basically what we are doing is taking any standard SSD off the shelf, 
and our software layers that running in concert uh, on top of those SSD, basically utilize them as a pool and bring them to the point that they are working in the most optimal point. Working at the most optimal point give you two benefits. A, it basically increase your throughput uh, um, and extend the life cycle of the SSD because SSD and flash is basically they don't forget. So that's the, the beauty of this beast. If you treat them, you know, uh, well, they will go for a long time. If you hit them, you know, with a hammer, <laughs> they, they, will, they will start, uh, you know, they will they're die. They're certainly quickly. not perfect. <laughs> yeah, they're not perfect. They're, they're, yeah. So, so basically, the, uh, the, the solution we develop was a solution that have a, a two main uh, components, you may say. One is a super optimized uh, uh, front end that allow you to connect anywhere in the data center and give you the low latency you expect for high, you know, tier one storage, super uh, kind of fast so, uh, SSD or flash-based storage. And then the second part of the of the, our solution is basically the quality of service layer that allow you to aggregate many application running on the same media, on the same flash, and getting the most out of that. And it, the thing that I really want people to hone in on is, and I, that's kind of why I led with the idea of the sort of the Zoom entering the the, the market of, of web conferencing, that anybody that was using these other tools would say, well, you know, we don't necessarily need another solution. Or people that sat back and looked at the number of tools that were out there, it may look as though the challenge has been solved. But it's it's funny in the way that you describe it, you know, coming from a standards base, going into a market where people, you know, a lot of people will say, well, no, no, we've, we've got a way to solve this. But like you said, it's going the RDMA route means you're, you're fundamentally changing the, the entire backend structure of your data uh -huh. center. And that's no one should doubt the power of inertia, both in forward motion and in stopping motion. And when you look at making fundamental changes, I've lived that data center life. It's really, really tough to, change your entire core infrastructure. You know, yeah. it, even the simplest thing I said, somebody tells me like, if you find me a successful spanning tree implementation and I'll find you a network admin that took down the entire network a couple of times before they got that right. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've figured out some of these pain points to the, some of the folks using those services, they may not realize that there's still a problem to be solved. And so, as crowded a market as web conferencing was, Zoom came in and just made it easy. They, they solved a very distinct problem that people who were using these tools didn't necessarily realize they had because the status quo seemed to be okay. So, and that's the thing, I, I love your approach of, you know, and for anybody that gets this, like being a founder of a company is really bold and brave thing because you have to walk into an area where people will say, no, I think we've actually, we're close enough and say, what if I could get you closer? And what if I could take away the, the friction of getting there? And that's really, yeah, so it's a, it's a beautiful, bold and brave thing as a founder to do this. And I'm amazed and, and hearing your story and, and, and going through this. And also, this is not your first time to the market with a solution, like a marketable solution. Uh, you know, your, your team has done some, some things in the past. Mm -hmm. How did you, so how did you, I don't mind, can we go way back? How did you come out of, out of school and, and decide that I, I'm not going to go the traditional route? I think I'm ready to build my own thing. Yeah. So I started my career actually in very traditional place. You know, it was in a Motorola semiconductor. I was part of the architecture team, and this is just coming out of school. So I think it was a, a great place to, to start with. Uh, you know, Motorola Semiconductor was one of the giant there, uh, developing processors and the communication, uh, uh, you know, processor for, for, for PCs even. It was, you know, PowerPC was everywhere. If, if you remember back then in the, in the years of, of 2000, uh, even before, and in communication processor like uh, PowerQuick and PowerQuick 2 that I was part of this team was, you know, we, we shipped them in, in millions, seriously in millions everywhere. They were at, uh, 
base station, at switches, router, everywhere you want. People just, you know, design a board, put the power quick, and then say, okay, what, 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 what other component we need to put there? So this is where I started. I kind of got my, my first kind of hands-on experience in the, in the industry. And, and after three years, you know, it's kind of, we, we spin out. Uh, we, we create another, uh, create a new uh, startup that uh, build one of the first uh, network processor. Uh, the startup was uh, based in uh, uh, Texas, uh, Austin, Texas, and uh, in Israel, uh, Tel Aviv area. Uh, and, uh, and this was our first kind of uh, uh, breathe into the startup world. And uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating because, as you mentioned, uh, basically when you're, you're starting something new, uh, <laughs> you suddenly realize that no matter what you did in the past and how much your reputation you, can, you, you collect and uh, you know, uh, you know, how many design win or, or new logo you had, you really need to start from scratch. And, and, and basically the only things that you have with you, uh, the, the toolkits that you carry, is the fact that you know that with enough persistency, and with the right idea, with the right team, eventually you can, you can, <laughs> you can do it, right? And there's a lot of doors shut, close on you, and people say, hey, we don't have time, and we're dealing with our day-to-day. -day. And eventually, you know, step by step, you, you start to get them in with your solution, with your innovation. And for, for us, you know, Wintegra was a huge success. Uh, because we managed to get into Ericsson, you know, 90% of, of uh, uh, Ericsson base station and then to Alcatelus and then to different uh, customers in Japan and so on. So, uh, and into Cisco router. So it was a huge success and the, the company eventually was acquired uh, by uh, PMC uh, Sierra. Uh, they, they were one of our investors. Uh, and over there in PMC Sierra also got the opportunity to start a, a new activity, kind of an incubation mode. Uh, and this is, was how I uh, kind of went from the uh, uh, compute and communication into storage domain. So this was my, my first uh, interaction with, with storage. And within uh, PMC Sierra, we actually, we built a, a storage uh, a group that uh, focus on NVMe, focus on flash, and we develop a flash controller and flash solution for the for hyperscaler and all flash array. And from there, it was just a, I would say a tiny step. You, you describe it like a, a, a brave or, or kind of a, a super challenging. Yeah, it is, but it's also a lot of fun, right? When you are in a big company, you think everything, everybody is kind of sleeping nearby you, right? So right. <laughs> <laughs> when you're at the startup, you know, the energy level is, is so high, right? And the, the, the level of excitement is so high and the, the ability to create, to, to form, to make mistakes and, and, and navigate. That, that's exactly what, what I think I find so beautiful in being in startup. And I have to admit, you know, we have, we have an excellent team. I like to say that uh, these teams that we have at Lightbit is the best team I, I, I manage from both from a, an engineering point of view, also from business point of view. So people really have the, the passion to go and, and concur and, and basically to, to, to build new stuff and, and to hear the customer and, and you know, make, make, create an impact, make an impact. In the, so, the complexity of doing that, and, and that is like, a lot of folks don't necessarily realize it's your, you have to have, first of all, uh, the engineering capability to build something or to be able to understand how to acquire people and bring people in to help build that. You don't necessarily have to build and architect the entire thing yourself. However, for the most part, strong technical founders have found have been successful. And then there's this beautiful sort of challenge of, I know that I can build it, but I know that I can't. Uh, so how do I build it quickly? And that's bringing in a team. And then as I build in this team and I, and I bring in and I build the solution, now do I find the product market fit? And mm. then I have to build a team to run the business that's wrapped around it. And it's, 
it is genuinely this almost like a Rube Goldberg magical machine of, of things that we have to pull together at the beginning. And it's really, really, no one sees that work. It's, it's kind of like, I always say that, you know, when you see somebody out on a, on a marathon uh, circuit, you know, and, and you see them, they're, they're, they're doing something amazing. I said, but that moment isn't actually what's amazing. What's amazing was the three years of training that led to that moment. And the spectators only see that moment. They don't see the time that you got up at four o'clock in the morning to get in a two and a half hour run because you had to wait before your kids got up, right? So when they see you come to market and they go to your website, they're like, oh, great, I can make a website. Like, there's a, there was a lot of training that led to this moment. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. And, and, and during this journey, you know, people actually also come, also changing the, the way, you know, they, you know, you, you actually, you, you mentioned it, right? Because the, 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 the duties change along those three years, right? You, in the beginning, you really need to build a team and then the product and then go to market and all of that. So you, you basically, you took 20 people, 30 people you started with, and these people need to change their role and responsibility within the startup, right? In the beginning, everybody's doing everything. You know, you, everybody's doing coding, everybody's doing a, a, a customer interaction. And then when you grow, you know, and, 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 and then they need to change their, a, a, you know, the day-to-day -day responsibility within the company, which also challenging, right? A, so it's kind of having the right people that can go all the way, can be very successful at the, at the, at the first, you know, few, few months, first year, and also can adapt and be, continue to be successful in the, in the, after three years, after four years, right? You don't want to replace your team. You want a team that actually can, can grow and adapt with the company. And keep in mind when they joined the company, most of them had to press the reset button because many of them were in a, a very kind of a, a good position, you may say, in, in different enterprise, right? They were VP engineering or, or CFO of a large company or CEO of a large company. I have a team here that, you know, my CEO was the CEO of, uh, of Melanox, right? He was running a, a 300 people, 3,000 product line, and uh, you know, shipping millions of cards every every month, and suddenly, whoop, he's coming That's to a true. company with with you know, 20, 30 people, you know, few kids running uh, around, right? And and he need to adapt, and need to grow again to the position he was uh, kind of uh, uh, just uh, one year ago, you know, and and that that's really challenging for, for people. That, that's true for VP of sales, that's true for VP engineering, that's true for, for all the top, top position in the company. All of them need to press the reset button. And you know, what I find, you know, is that for some of them, it's really kind of, a, a kind of shocking in the beginning. You know, they used to run so many, manage so many people and they open the, the you know, their the, the day and look and there's so many crises in front of them. Right, they need to take care of email, customer call, and shipping stuff and doing stuff. And then suddenly, no, they just need to sit and think <laughs> and, <That's> do right. <laughs> and do something themselves. Right? There's nobody to tell them what to do. They need to do it. Right? So this is kind of a, at least for people from that that moving from a, a large company to a startup. This is kind of a shocking moment. This is kind of a a a, a educating moment and it takes them three months really to realize which environment they are and, right, and how right. they navigate with this this environment and they need to enjoy it if they don't enjoy it they cannot survive the startup so i can describe it as the most amazing thing you you see but you know for some people it's not that's not what they are looking they they they, they are looking to you know to manage 500 people 200 people and, and just right. give them commands <laughs> Yeah, and it's it, this is one thing, and I uh, you've used such such a beautiful description of it, right? It's when people I've talked to, like when I moved from I just I was a systems architect for years, and I worked in a stable environment, but I always kind of like forced myself to challenge myself and challenge my team, and and as a result, it worked out well in my career on that side of the world. And then when I moved over and, and joined a, a startup and I still say I work for a startup, we have, you know, a lot of people, we've been around for 10 years. I, I technically, I guess we're not a startup anymore, but the mentality is there. And 
it's really interesting to maintain that as you scale the company and it's challenging. You go through these phases and like you said, we don't want to shed the team like phases of a rocket how and stages of a rocket rather. But however, there will be certain folks that are, are not ready for, like you said, going from you know, pulling off the highway and getting back on the side road and then building a highway. Because you literally have to think, I'm, I'm not just slowing down to slow. I'm not changing roles because we're going to stay 20 people. We're going to grow. We're going to scale. But we have to do this from zero, from 20 again. And it's, it's a real psychological challenge for folks when they come into those environments. And I've, I've learned in, you know, over the course of my, I've been with five years at, at my company and, and seeing people come and go rightly so for them and rightly so for the company where they, and some people that have stayed right for them, right for the company. It's a, an incredible choreography of finding people that can be very specific. You know, this is the stage at which they will excel and they themselves do not want to go beyond that. And the company is ready to invest in them to do that. And this is why I, I want to tap onto this, the faith of being a founder and bringing on new people and the faith of those people to join a founder. It's a beautiful bi-directional, very faith-based relationship. And I and, see And you that. know what? There is a lot of responsibility. That's the right. way I, I also like to tell people because when I need to, to pull out someone from a, you know, a great company, and you know you're picking just you know the, the the best people to the startup, right? So people are working in a great company, you know. And and I did hire some people from Turbonomic, the place you are working, and and there is a responsibility, right? Because you you bring them to a startup that uh, basically uh, uh, there there is uncertainty. Uh, nobody can promise you that you can succeed. In, in fact, you are against the odds, right? What, what is right. the odds for a startup to succeed, right? So it's a, a one to 20, maybe. Actually, the, the type of company you want to build, it's probably one to 100 or maybe one to 1,000. So <laughs> there's no bullshit here, right? You can, you, the, the moment you join, you know that you're against the, the, the odds, okay? Uh, uh, but you need to, to, to bring them, the, the, to give them the feeling that they are going to have an impact on the company. When they join the company, they are going to be part of the success. They are going to help the company to grow. It's it's not just your duty to make the company successful. It's each and every one of the people join the company duty to make the company successful. Okay, because you cannot do it by yourself. And and there is a responsibility, a lot of responsibility, because people say, you know, you, you mentioned Zoom. You know, everybody is looking and say, okay, Zoom. They got a valuation of, I don't know, $19 billion, $20 billion. I want to be like Zoom. Nobody wants to be like WeWorks, okay, now. <laughs> That's right. So, and you need to, to tell them, look, you are taking a risk joining the company. And the risk here is that it will be very hard in the beginning. And it's nothing like the things that you're doing in your day-to-day -to -day job today. And you need to really start everything from scratch and, and people use the metaphor, hey, I'm willing to take the garbage out. Okay, but it's not just you're just taking the garbage out. You need to do 10 different or 20 different things that you haven't done before. You're back to uh, fly in economy class and you're back to, to find you know, a, a cheaper hotel and uh, you're back you know, to ping a customer again and again and again and will not answer you. You're back of, of being less powerful at the standard body. You're back of so, so, so many things that, and some people have, you know, the very old good memory of what they have done maybe 10 years ago or five years ago, but they not, they, it's hard to say, and it's really hard to say if they can really replicate it today. That's and, right. <laughs> that, oh, and you, you brought up something that's amazing for people to understand is we as humans, develop our own revisionist history of things. It's, it's the part of the natural makeup of, of our psychology. Like we, we as a species are built to erase and shake out the negative aspects of things and remember the positive. Mm -hmm. And it's funny when, so when we go back and we look at our resume, a resume is, is not our, and 
nowhere near a representation of how a person will work. And what I found is the interview process for startups is such an amazing experience and it's such a challenging experience because you're, you're, you're hiring a person, not a functional role. Mm-hmm. You are, and they have to be able to function. They have to be able to be somebody and they have to be able to do a thing. And so finding the merger of those two things to be able to be a person and do a thing, it's, a, it's an incredible process. And, and that's why I talked about this bi-directional faith thing. Like when I started at my company, I thought to myself early on when I was thinking about it, do I have faith in this organization? When I was like employee, like 200, do I have faith that they will be able to be there for the period of time that I can grow with this company? And as I started the very interactive interview process, I realized very humbly that they are the ones that have faith, not me. I have to believe, obviously, I have to believe in what they're doing, but they have to believe that I am going to be there and do, like you said, anything, whatever you're, they're going to, you're going to go on the phones. You're going to do these things, stuff that I was profoundly uncomfortable with doing, but I knew that I had the responsibility that they had the faith to bring me on board. I have to have the faith in their vision to do the things that I'm going to get asked to do, or sometimes that you don't even get asked, that you just know this has to get done. Like I said, Iran, people that have to go back, make customer calls again, talk to people that, you know, it's, you're, you're just, it's, it's amazing to start it all up again. I, I can, I'm excited by, I'm excited on your behalf. And I love watching the, you know, companies go through this phase and, and this beautiful, you know, a choreography of it all. Yeah, and there is, as you mentioned, there is a lot of faith and responsibility on both sides because we bring somebody new inside, okay? And we give him the, 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 the things that is most important for us, right? We gave him to interact with our team, existing team that work together for, uh, you know, quite a while, you know, day and night. And we give him to interact with the customers that we, it, it took us so much, you know, we, we worked so hard to, to, to satisfy those customers, to, to, to acquire them and to work with them in the very early stage. There is a, a lot of faith, again, from the customer side also. He believe in the technology, believe in the te- people, so he's willing to work with you, the work. Um, and we give him the product, right? Our baby. And he is the one that actually going to go and, and either continue to develop it if he's in the R&D or to uh, you know, sell it if he's in the sale or to market it if he's in the marketing team. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and suddenly you, you, you grow your team, you grow your people, you grow your family. And, and that, that's also a, a major transition for a startup. And, and it is also a challenge because if you don't know how to grow, people kind of laid back, stay back and holding the part too hard and, not, and doesn't, don't let it go, right? Because by the end of the day, you want to grow. You want to, to scale. From the, from the perspective. You want to scale to be able to develop more feature simultaneously. You, you want to scale because you want to uh, uh, access more customer simultaneously. Uh, and so you want to scale in all, all dimension, right? So it, it's all about, you know, the people, as you mentioned, to have faith and trust on both sides and the ability to, to let it go. And, uh, and that's a, there's a beautiful pragmatism that's involved in, in this, like as, you know, and you, you see, like I always say, effective product managers are, are ruthlessly pragmatic. And that's because you have, it's an, an incredible set of trade-offs of like, do I, I, I scale out the number of features that I can bring versus the supportability of those features and the ability to sell those things and the ability to like, is it watering down what the core of it is? And that's why anybody that's that's looking at starting a journey of you know building their own their own platform, their own startup, their own team, mapping to the vision has to be continuous. And over the course of the lifetime of the organization and the product, you will see the mark the product market will change. Maybe the the messaging will change mm-hmm. a few different ways. But if you look back, the most amazing thing is to look 10 years from now and we're going to see, oh my goodness, 
there it is. This is the this is the mission statement. This is the vision that we wrote down in a in a Word doc or a Google doc, you know, <laughs> in 2016 and and in 2026. And and you know what we, we did it. it when we just start Lightbits. Uh, we, we sat together, you know, the, the, the first three people, you know, Muli is our CTO and VP Engineering of Fear and myself. And, and we actually, we wrote the first press release we are going to issue two years from now. That's amazing. And so we wrote the press release, say, okay, how would the press release should look like? And, and I still have it, you know, uh, 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 hang on, on the wall here, right? And uh, so we say, okay, so we, we got a... a a nice picture of people kind of a, a race, a bicycle race, and say, okay, light beat, uh, coming out of stealth mode with the light box, it's the first, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then when we just released the product and we went out of stealth mode, we sent it to the entire team. And we told them, look, this is the press release we wrote uh, three years ago. You guys know exactly what we have now. Do uh, compare, you know? <laughs> <laughs> go run behind compare on that and see what, what was uh, what 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 changed what's similar and you know what 60 70 percent is similar and this was not a target of course right because the target is to bring the right product to the market that's the target to solve your customer uh, uh, to solve your customer problem that's the target right uh, that's the goal uh, and uh, but it was some of beauty to, to see, you know, the, the areas that we kind of kept uh, uh, as we started and the areas that people made laugh on us and say, hey, you thought it's going to be like this. And actually, it's totally like that. Right. So well, and that it's a very nice practice to any uh, any any startup. You know, when you start, you know, even if you're going to laugh on yourself, just try and write your first kind of press release. What will be the press release when you go out of sales mode three years from now? and then compare it or show it to the entire company. They will make laugh of you. That's also good. It, and it's something we, I think even in personal practices that people when at their, at their any job they've got, and I, I always ask that when I'm, when I'm talking to people in interviews and say like, what, what, what will be the, what will be your accomplishments that you have, you know, six months from now, what will you be celebrating? Mm -hmm. and, and in the same sense of like, what's the press release for the thing that you did that you are going to, that you have not done yet, but what will you do? And, and I love being able to work with people as they come through that. And then six months later, it's not a failure if you did not hit the exact phrasing or you did not do the exact thing. The failure is not having the faith that you can go through and build towards this goal. And it has to be an aggressive goal. Like you said, as a startup founder, you are coming from an idea and then going to a market that does not, does not out of the box believe in your idea. Because if they did, there'd be a thousand people that have already come to the market with it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know, some people ask me, you know, uh, you know, when, when we, you know, we, we got investment from, from Cisco, from Dell and from Micron. And, you know, uh, I remember one of the interview with Cisco, people ask me, you know, are you willing to talk about it? I say, yes, if you're willing to build it, we, we work for out so hard for that. So if you can build it, go and build it yourself. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we, we know how much, uh, you know, effort and engineering work and coordination you need in order to build what we build. So it's, it's not about the idea anymore. It's, it's kind of, it's so complex to, to implement it, to, to make it right. And, and, and maybe if we can, we can go back to talking about a little bit about technology. So, what we did in Lightbit is basically, and think about it, is I also like to laugh on that. It's a small startup, you know, in a small town in Israel, develop a standard, uh, which we believe, and it's not about us anymore because it, it's become a standard. And if you ask people in the industry, uh, they will tell you NVMe over TCP will be the dominant uh, uh, kind of way to connect storage in the future in data center. So it will be kind of the next generation of Sun. It will be the replacement of iSCSI. From, that means that from technology point of view, we already made it, okay? Because that, that's probably the right thing. That's probably the right uh, technology. And, and you know what? After we, we developed this uh, um, technology, what we did is actually uh, uh, Muli and myself, uh, Muli is the, the CTO of the company, we went and we actually interviewed the inventor of the ice cassie, uh, wow. Julian Satran. 
we we asked him we, we we called him you know he's already retired you know he worked many years in IBM and then in Finidat and we, we called him and we gave him a call and asked him you know what you 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 know if you can go back in time what you could do different to make sure that your company monetize this standard you invent in the best way you can okay because you know in a startup it's not about just having the right technology it's also being able to take it to the to the market and as, as i think you you mentioned before get the, the make sure that you have the right market fit and find the right customer so it's about timing it's about deployment it's about customer support all of them together if you don't have all the element in the in this recipe together you're going to fail if you have just have the right technology it's not enough so so basically we 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 went and interviewed people that they develop a similar technology and try to understand you know what they did right and what they did wrong and they would correct and we try to to leverage it in what we are doing in in our day-to-day in lightbits uh, and the we we always hear the old you know i I think it always gets attributed to IBM is, you know, fail fast or, or, or all like, but really what it is, it's the, when we talk about failure in that sense, it's, it's understanding where, where it just, where it didn't work for a variety of reasons. And that's really what it is. It's not failure in the sense that it just, it just died on the vine. It literally is like a, the, a good idea that did not come to fruition. And, and, and that's, that's it. Like, part of why you are successful is because you've, you know, to do that, not to just say like, I'm going to erase all the bad things in the world. And I'm going to come up with this amazing good thing. You're like, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to look at why things didn't work mm-hmm. and then make sure that I, this is another, it's a human trait. We, we learn from pain. We learn from negativity to then avoid that thing in the future. <laughs> and if yeah. we don't, we are destined to repeat said things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you can, you're coming to the problem with much experience you have, open mind uh, and ability to, to adapt to the, to the problem as it is today, which could be, you know, different than what you, you try to solve it in the past on the way people solve it in the past. Uh, that's what we're, what we're trying to do. And what's amazing is the, for the people that are going to continue to watch uh, as we wrap, I, I could literally spend all day talking to you around. This is, we will talk again in the future as we, as we see the evolution of, of you and, and your team and, and the, and the, the platform. Uh, it, it's the thing that when a company opens up, they come out of stealth and they bring a product to the market. What's very interesting for me, just because I've seen the, I've seen how the machine works and, and all this innovation, they are already building the thing that's three years from now while they're bringing the thing today to market. And so what's amazing is that the, the product that's on the website today for any company is not the product that's in R&D. And so even as amazing as the thing is that we finally see come to the light, there is an amazing thing that's, that's three years away. So I'm excited to, to watch the continued growth of, of your team and, and, and your company. Uh, you know, thank you very much for sharing the, the, the story. It's, it's incredible. I do, I do look forward to, to talking again in the future. Yeah. And, and, and th- thank you. Thank you for uh, hosting me, Eric. And uh, you know, it was a, uh, Exciting and pleasure, pleasures, you know, to, to talk in your podcast. Uh, I'm sure we can talk about 10 hours of different topics. Uh, we pick a, a specific route and then, yeah, I hope, uh, the, you know, your uh, uh, audience will, will like it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's been incredible. So, Iran, where can folks, if folks did want to get a hold of you uh, or, or speak with you or, or, or learn about uh, Lightbit, where, where can they go to do that? Yeah, so... so uh, I'm, I'm basically located in Israel, but spend at least half of the, my time in the, in the U.S. Uh, people can t- contact, contact me, you know, in my email, eran at lightbitslabs.com, uh, or they can uh, simply, you know, go to LinkedIn and, and find me there or on Twitter. So uh, I think it's easy access. So if you have any, any question about Lightbit, about Lightbit product, I will be more than happy, you know, to talk with you, teach you about the product and tell you what problem we are solving.
Excellent. Well, thank you very much for the time. And uh, I, I look forward to, again, keeping in touch and, and hearing and watching the story evolve. I'll, we'll, we'll talk again in the future. And of course, for folks that want to keep uh, listening, you know, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you'll, you'll get all the new episodes as they pop up. We're generally coming out weekly and, and we're, we're getting some amazing stories that are getting shared. Iran, thank you for sharing this time with me. Uh, and I look forward to talking again in the future. Thank you. You're listening to Today's Cool Palsy Podcast.